Okay, guys, uh, good morning. Today, today is our last day of questions you never thought you could ask in church. And I want to give you an idea of how this is going to progress today. The volume of questions that came in over the last two weeks has just been like inordinate. And so what I want to try to do today is get through as many of the questions left unanswered so far. But Live texting is still open, and here's the number, 1-815-314-0363. We still encourage you and invite you, text any questions in you have on God, Christianity, the Bible, fellowship of faith, how it all fits together. I'll get them anonymously, do the best job I can to answer them in real time right here on the spot, but I'm going to try to get through the volume of last week and the week before first. So, here we go. Now, we got a number of questions over the past couple of weeks surrounding the idea of how and what it's going to mean for us as a church as we grow. Specifically, as our church is growing from a church of about 250 on Sunday morning to a church of about 500, with it has come not only questions, but sometimes fears, concerns, but also points of interest and vision and things like that. So I want to hit those first, and here they are. This is what we had left unanswered. Question that came in. Doesn't a bigger congregation mean that I won't know and connect with people? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if by that you mean all people, do you connect with all people now? There are over 700 people in our database that consider themselves regulars of Fellowship of Faith. Do you know them and connect with them all? And I suspect that it's probably no. So fundamentally, a bigger congregation probably won't be any change in that all category to begin with. But does it mean that you won't know and connect with people? You are the only one that can answer that question. If you want to know and connect with people, get to know and start to connect with people And don't worry about whether it's a congregation of 500 or 250 or even 10. Just start to do it now. God calls us to do it now, whatever size church we might be in. So hopefully that helps. Now, if we go to a third service, will it be Sunday, Saturday, or midweek? Right now, all options are on the table. And before we add a third service, We want to more or less maximize in a comfortable way two services. But I will give you my suspicion, and I'm going to say it in the context of don't hold me to it, because thinking might change. But I suspect we will probably go to three services on a Sunday before we would go to a regular Saturday or midweek. Here's one. Will our fo- I love this one. Will our focus when bringing in more members be non-church folk or stealing people from other churches? Well, stealing, of course. <laughs> Look, we're never going to station someone at the door to make him give like a membership check of another church before we let him in, all right? But our focus always has been always will be and continues to be those who are not connecting with the church community right now. 
Because you know what? Fellowship of faith is not for all people. And we need dozens, if not hundreds, of church of different styles and different fields and different perspectives all around this area. But there is a contingent of people in our communities that aren't fitting there, and I believe that God has a place for them here. And those are the people that we're interested in connecting with and reaching. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that helps. How is 500 better? You know, it might not be. It's just different. There are benefits of being 500 and cons, just like there's benefits of being 250 and cons. Wanting to see our church grow isn't so much about making our experience better as it is about saying there's people who aren't connecting somewhere and God loves them and cares about them. And we want to see them Connect with the living body of Christ like he wants to see it. So better isn't even the first question we're asking. But if you're going to pin me down, put the gun to my head, and force me to answer the question on its terms, 500 basically means more opportunities, more options, more programming. Can we build a balcony? You know, if someone says can... Absolutely. We can. In fact, the original plans for this building have a balcony in the design back there. But what's more likely is watching that wall go back or this wall go forward. But what's more likely than construction or expansion is multiple services at a greater degree first. But yeah, all options are on the table. How about this? What effect do you see on the church as a whole if we reach the goal of 500 members? And what does a church of 500 look like to an average attender at FOF? What does it mean for me? First, a corrective. The goal is not 500 members. It's 500 people regularly attending any given Sunday. You've heard me say it before. I will say it again. At some level, we don't give a rip if you're a member of FOF or not. What we're interested in seeing is people connect with this community and connect in God, connect with God in a deeper way. Now, what will you see on the church as a whole if we reach that? Well, what I mentioned earlier, I think you'll see greater diversity of programming, more options on the table, more things and avenues and niches to be able to take part in. And what it looks like for an average attender is honestly the same thing it looks like for an average attender now. It is going to look like whatever amount of energy and time you give it. If you're looking for a church to do bare minimum, hang out on Sunday for a little bit when you feel like it and the kids aren't in sports, then it can look a bit different, right? You just keep doing what you're doing. If you're in a comfortable place going, I'm just going to leave my world unchecked and continue to exist in this way, well, you'll be able to do that. But our hope is that as the congregation grows and the call of God becomes clearer and clearer and louder and louder into new paths, that suddenly that becomes a discovery for you as well. The things that we're not able to do right now or haven't thought of or people who, who, who don't come here right now now start to come here with new gifts and passions are able to spring to life new things in your walk with Christ as well. So at some level, there's a bit of an unknown, but I'll tell you, for me, it's an exciting one. Here's one. 
For 500, I already volunteer my time. Will I have to volunteer even more time? You don't have to do anything. This is not a church where we pin you down, put the arm up to your throat and hold you against the wall and go, volunteer. Right? There's opportunities to serve available. Opportunities to get in the game in the community, in the world, and the body right here. You know your barometer. Listen to Christ. Follow his leading. Try new things and watch new doorways open to whatever time commitment that might mean. Why does FOF seem like McHenry's best kept secret? Well, if that is in fact true, probably because enough of us aren't talking about it. We keep it to ourselves because we like it and we go, mine, my precious, right? If McHenry is best kept secret, let's change it. If this place matters to you and you love it and you think there's friends or family or neighbors or whoever in your life that could benefit here, and share it, invite them, and let's turn the course on that. Now, if FOF grows to 500 plus, if this church expands rapidly, where does that leave you as our pastor? Now, when I first got this one in, I wasn't really sure where they were going, but I think this second question is related. What I mean is, if the church grows, would you primarily stay at this campus or site? FOF has always wanted to be a church-planting church in one form or another. So at some level, the options for those kinds of things are always on the table. But at the level of 500, we are not looking to make Fellowship of Faith 2, and I've got to say it, Electric Boogaloo, just sorry, um, 80s flashback. We are not looking to plant a satellite church at this size, so yes, I would probably still be here primarily. However, even right now, we are coming alongside a number of other churches, some in the city, some in the near suburbs, some that we're talking to even out in Rockford in that area, that we're looking to come alongside of not to make FOF satellites out of, but to just help them work through some issues and maybe do church better. And yeah, and I'm hoping on occasion that means I get to go preach there once in a while. I get to go hands and sisters in Christ and help them just soar in places right now. All right. I've got some more questions coming, but I do want to hit a couple of live texts in first, okay? And this one, and uh, the question is this. Here we go. Do a metal. Here we go. <laughs> Can we do a metal worship Sunday? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're a musician who's asking this question, we need your help. Help make it happen. Oh, yeah, baby. All right. No, I will not let you know. I will not let you know. I will not let you know. All right, how about this? Why don't we have confession as the Catholic Church does? This may take a little more time to wade through than I can give it, but the reality is we do. We actually practice confession here as a church a lot. Now, we've never been slavish to it as a must-have every given Sunday, 
But we do have this practice where we come together corporately to confess our sins to God and hear God's words of forgiveness. And while we don't believe that a Catholic priest holds the power to forgive or withhold sins alone, it is nonetheless a vitally healthy spiritual practice that we like to do here and probably should even do more. Yeah, good question. Now how about this? Do you use a special conditioner for your beard? (laughs) I do. I do. Two different kinds, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. All right. Let's go to some from last week. Is heaven coming down? If heaven is coming down, how is there going to be room for everyone? Because you'll all be very, very small, all right? It's a great question and one, believe it or not, that you are not the first to ask. You can read like these dense theological tomes by people with way too many PhDs who are asking these questions themselves and it's a bit of an unanswered. I don't know. High rises, right? Underwater habitation, population, I don't know. But you know what? I think God has got that one. And however the new earth will look to make it happen in a pleasing way? Good question. This one I found interesting. Does God look at everyone in an equal sense? Or does he look at some people as more important and useful to him than others? You know... It's a tricky one for me to answer because I want to answer it in a way that I don't think you'll expect. What I think that most people expect the answer to be is that God looks at everyone in an equal sense because tucked within the mentality of it is the the idea that God loves everyone alike. And I believe that. Everyone is valuable to God. Everyone matters to God. God loves everyone. But you can't get around the idea in the Bible that God chooses some for special purposes. It's Romans 9, we'll put it. Who are we to talk back to God if he makes some for noble purposes and some for common purposes? And common doesn't mean bad or unimportant. But yes, God does choose some. But the real irony of it, I find, is this. More often than not, the people that I think God places more importance in and become more useful to him are the people who choose to respond to him. There are cases where God chooses certain people for certain things before the foundation of the world, but far more, God says, come follow me, and if you come and follow him, you become more powerful, more important in his work, and more useful to him in his kingdom than if you choose to sit on the sideline. So instead of wondering and worrying about the existential question, ask yourself this instead. Am I following and obeying God the way he's calling me to today? Because that's going to make all the difference for what tomorrow looks like. How about this? What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Part of the Trinity, if I can use that language. God's Spirit that when the Father sits in heaven that he sends, somehow one with him and yet somehow separate from him that you can see both in Old and New Testament alike. 
The Holy Spirit, to be clear, is not your own soul or spirit, though. Here's one. Are these, assuming I mean these questions, are these posted online? If not, can they all be? Yeah, in fact, they are posted online. You can listen to any of our messages online. Go to fellowshipoffaith.org. Just click on the Listen Online tab, and you will see them listed chronologically. Here is one. And it's one that I suspect comes with a lot of internal struggle and weight. What do you do if you are not attracted to your spouse anymore? Here's what you do. You hang in there. You endure. You fight for it. And you try to discover it together again. People change. And the people we often marry are not the same people 5, 10, 15, 20, or even 40 years later. And in that journey... Attraction can wane. If you're in that place, can I encourage you? You are not alone, and more likely than not, you are probably normal in the grand scheme. It can be a touchy conversation. But if you talk to your spouse about it, humbly, humbly, honestly, from a place of confession. No, I know, this can be difficult at a surface level. You don't go up to your spouse and go, you know, you really got fat. Right? That's not what I mean. Because anyone who's been married for a time knows full well that attraction is far deeper than skin deep. But have you ever gone up to your spouse and just said, I need you to know this. I feel like we're drifting. I'm not drawn to you in the same way. It is easy to become an unattractive person. And I encourage you, as painful as it might be, have that conversation. Because leaving it left unchecked for long periods of time means that intimacy dies and marriage wanes. But I want you to ask yourself a question as well. Are you an attractive person? Are you the kind of person your spouse should be attracted to? Or have you become nasty, rude, indifferent, callous? Have you physically thrown in the towel? You're not going to look the same way at 50 that you do at 20. That's not what I mean. But becoming a person with poise and confidence and compassion, a person with kindness and joy, these are the really attractive things. Foster it in your own life and see what happens in response. How do we know when to take something in the Bible literally or figuratively? For example, the earth being created in six days. Let's step away from the example and just talk about the basic question. And let me answer the question with a question. 
How do you know when you're watching a movie whether what the character says should be taken literally or figuratively? How do you know when you're reading something online if it should be taken literally or figuratively? How do you know when you're reading an instruction manual if it should be taken literally or figuratively? How do you know when your kids or spouse or girlfriend or friends are talking to you if what they're saying should be taken literally or figuratively? When I put it that way, doesn't it start to reveal something? There isn't a basic formula to human communication that we can slap on everything to go figuratively, literally. You figure it out by context. Sometimes you figure it out by trial and error. Sometimes you figure it out by looking for more clarification. Sometimes you figure it out by asking it in different ways. The Bible is a complex book representing the fullness of what human communication can offer. And it can't be simplified to these pat answers that Christians too often glibly seek. You got to dig into it. You got to contextualize with it. You got to talk and wrestle with God in it and seek that kind of counsel along the way. How about this? Why are we put on this planet to work? I feel like we are wasting our lives away all was working all the time. Now we put these up here word for word. What I think this person is trying to flush out is why do we bother doing anything in this world if we're just going to die and go to heaven anyway? Forgive me if I'm misunderstanding what you're asking. But if I got it correct, let me address it. The goal is not to die and go to heaven. The goal is the coming of Christ to make and renew the heavens and the earth. Which means everything we do echoes into eternity. Christianity is not a cosmic escape plan from a world going to hell in a handbasket. It is about a God who's coming to make this creation that is so horribly vandalized right now into what he always intended for it to be. God has given it, and this is what matters to him. So what you do now is not insignificant. It is not. This is where God loves and wants you to be. How about this? Are we living in the tribulation? Yes. And I'm also, I'm also curious what you mean by the tribulation. How about this? Is masturbation wrong? Why? Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't speak into directly. And within that, we're left with the guiding principles of greater ideas the scriptures give to help us navigate right and wrong in any given context. And what's right for one might be wrong for another. You know, the way I like to kind of approach this question is this. It starts with this. How old are you? I don't mean that sarcastically. A 12-year-old coming and asking this question is going to get a far different answer than me from a 40-year-old who's been married for 10 years. How old are you? There are times for childish ways for all of us. 
And forgive me for taking 1 Corinthians 13 out of context, but it works for me here. There is a time for all of us to put childish ways behind. God's intended plan of intimacy is with another human, not with yourself. Seek that. And if in that time that you have to wait, trust in God's plan until it comes. How about this? Is giving over your sins to a Catholic priest, if you are Catholic, really what God wishes? Let me answer it this way. The scriptures say, confess your sins to one another. Sometimes I think the Catholics have something to teach us here in Protestantville. For us, confession becomes such a unilateral, personal, independent kind of thing. But God wants us to confess our sins to one another, to speak forgiveness and encouragement over one another, to call each other out if we're skating them. I do not believe that that has to be a Catholic priest or that they hold some kind of power more than any other believer. But don't let that sidestep you from the basic practice that underlies it. How about this? How are we so sure that the God of the Muslims is not our own? If both Christians and Muslims worship one God, who is to say we are not worshiping the same God with different understandings? You know, it's the first question that I want to speak specifically into and bring a corrective to. God is not your own. You do not own God. God is not the property of the, quote, established Christian faith. There's just God. And different people from different cultures and different traditions have tried to find him and seek him and figure him out and reject him or follow him or worship him and everything in between. It's not that it's our God versus the Muslim God. These are shorthand ways of speaking, but I find them unhelpful. The idea is there is a God and there's something very true about him. He is real. Who's getting it the best? the closest, the most accurate. I believe Jesus did. I believe that what Jesus said about God is so closer to the core truth than anything else that human beings have been able to devise. But that doesn't mean that other belief systems, other religions, other people have not picked up on shadows, echoes, insights, even though at times it might be seeing like through a glass darkly or corrupt along the way, I would encourage you to approach the thinking more that way. How about this? Is it possible that completely, and it just jumped on me, that completely intelligent computers are within God's plan? That's possible, sure. Sure. God started his creation. He gave it over to humanity. And he said, develop it, run with it, do amazing things with it. Yeah, it quite possibly could be. How about this? Why don't we have shout-outs anymore? 
All right? Big shout out to Neil Overbay, who was declared by Fellowship of, Fellowship of Faith a babe last Sunday on this stage. All right? Give it up for Neil. All right. How about this? Is it possible for angels to receive prayers? If by that you mean, can you pray to angels? Well, of course you can. You can pray to this music stand if you want to. And it might have the capacity, my dog might have the capacity to understand something of what I say in my prayer. It's not whether it can, it's whether you should. It's just kind of misguided. Your dad wants you to talk to him. So go talk to your dad. Go talk to God directly. You don't see in the Bible this need in prayer for celestial intermediaries. How about this? Do you think that the tears shed in heartache help the water, the flower of faith? Do we take that literally or figuratively? Do you think that the tears shed in heartache help water the flower of faith? I think they can. I think they can. I don't think it's a guarantee. I think like everything, when we find ourselves at places in life, there are choices to make. Choices of how I'll respond Choices of how I'll think about something and approach something and decide to go through something. Even if things are out of my hands, I can control how I react to it. And there have been many people through history up through today that in times of severe, severe, gut-wrenching heartache have found a strengthening in a flowering of faith. And by and far, they found it on this line by maintaining hope and faith. Hope that this is not the final chapter. Hope that God is bigger. Hope that there is something beyond that God has promised. And the faith to trust him through the valley until they get there. How about this? Not sure if this was asked, but what is Fellowship of Faith doing in regards to the Red House? Are we still looking into purchasing that house and property? I know, um, I know it's two questions, but one goes with the other. For those of you who are uh, unfamiliar, there is a piece of property on Crystal Lake Road that we just affectionately refer to as the Red House here that we have expressed interest in purchasing. The owner does have it for sale. We've talked to him, and he's currently asking more than what we feel it's worth to us as a church, but he also knows that if things don't happen and he chooses to drop his price, we'd love to talk with him again. So right now, it's kind of in that hold. Can we make a garden to feed the homeless? And I'm assuming you mean here at Fellowship of Faith. Yeah, but here's the thing. If we're going to make a garden to feed the homeless, it's because you're going to make the garden to feed the homeless. Do not come up with good ideas for other people to do. See what God is calling you to do. 
respond to it and take the responsibility to see it through. And if you are someone here who is willing to do that, come talk to me and we can see what we can make happen. How about this? When we pray and do not receive an answer right away, and even when we declare a fast then and still have no answer in a troubled life relationship, when do we just let go because the pain is not what we signed up for? Is it wrong then to begin to let go and let God deal with the troubled person? Help needed for the faithful. You know, it really depends on the relationship that you're in. If this is a relationship with a, quote, friend, a coworker, someone that you just know casually, there does come a time to walk away from toxicity. If you're in a more intimate relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, this is a question you'll severely have to ask yourself. Is this a relationship I continue to pursue? But if you're talking about a spouse, a child, someone that you are in some way committed to, walking away is not an option in God's plan. You're committed to fight through it, to struggle through it, and that doesn't mean you have to take all their toxicity upon themselves, but it also doesn't mean you get to wash your hands because it's easier in some other way. How about this? A bit longer, so please bear with. Since the birth of my granddaughter with CHARGE, all capitalized syndrome, I've learned more than I thought I cared about regarding DNA, chromosomes, and genes which made me wonder how Jesus' DNA would be different from us mortals. An interesting comment, the researcher who discovered CHARGE, was that all syndromes are caused by a defect in the sperm. When I googled Jesus' DNA, it also made me think that God the Creator already had a plan in place for when man would fail. Dave, do you have any thoughts or knowledge on this topic? Yeah, I do. Good luck. <laughs> Jesus was born of a woman with full DNA lines of both mother and father back in his mother's line. So even though he was born miraculously of the Holy Spirit and Joseph wasn't involved in the, shall we say, fun part, um, he nevertheless has both lines in him. Jesus is fully mortal, fully human, fully susceptible to corruptibility, if I can put it that way, like you or me, and yet, alongside of it, we see him born of a virgin, born miraculously, born of God, and born in such a way that while his flesh could fail, his flesh could die, he could get sick, he could suffer, and I believe he could sin. He nonetheless did not. I am not inclined to believe that Jesus was the perfect DNA specimen that walked this earth. Now, after his resurrection, that's another story. But you didn't ask that. We're out of time.
We're out of time, and I got through all the questions that were asked in prior weeks. But I didn't get through all the questions that were asked today. But I got good news for you. If you asked something today, and I didn't get to it, I've got good news for you. Today is not the only day that you can ask your questions. Here at FOF, we believe it's not only good, but important to ask questions, and we encourage you and invite you to keep asking. Ask the people who work here. Ask the people you're in groups with. Ask the people you worship with. Ask the people you're doing life with. And if you can't find the answer or insight or perspective, just keep asking because it is in that process that God will not only guide you, but bring insights to life you may not have even thought to ask about to begin with. So if it's burning and it's on that iPad and it didn't come out my mouth today, come talk to me after service or email me this week and let's see where we can take it together. Guys, I want to invite you to rise. Um, Band's going to come forward and as they get ready, let's just kind of prepare our hearts one more time for some closing worship and, and would you pray with me? Lord God in heaven, the scriptures declare you are good and your mercy endures forever. May we find hope in that. May we trust in that. May we lean upon it and learn to rely upon it. God, in the good times and in the bad, Heart check us today. And where we're corrupt, rebellious, defiled, God, where it's ugly inside, challenge it. And may we not turn a, an obstinate shoulder, may we not lash back, but may we be open to your leading and and confident in your forgiveness. Make us the people you want us to be. God, this we pray, and pray as you once taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.